over the last few weeks in honor of October and all of the crazy that goes on around Halloween, we started a series called Ghost Stories. And we thought we would uh, spend time on things that are really frightening as opposed to the, a lot of the things that you see in movies and TV. We, so we talked about the, the fear of failure and the fear of intimacy, and, and today we turn our attention to one last ghost story, the fear of change. We read today from Romans 12, beginning in the first verse. Please follow along in your copy of God's Word or on the screen behind me. May the Spirit breathe through His holy Word. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ accordingly to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, we are so very thankful by what we have witnessed this morning as we have seen one slip beneath the baptismal waters to begin a new era of his life. We thank you. We thank you, Father, for voices lifted, for gifts used this morning that have led us in worship. We know, Father, that everything good in our life comes from you, and we thank you. In fact, Lord, we have come to worship you, to praise you, but also to ask for your blessings. I ask for a blessing, Father, that you might use this moment powerfully, that your spirit might breathe through us, that we might be transformed a little more, changed, even into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can not do this without you. Nothing good will come of this moment if your spirit does not breathe. And so, Lord, we pray for this blessing. We pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Change. How, how would you describe change? If I was to ask you to complete the short sentence, change is blank, how would you fill it in? Change is frightening. Change is constant. Change is inevitable. Or maybe even a simpler question, you know, what's your first reaction to this? Change is good or bad? Which side would you fall on? Perhaps the answer is somewhat dependent upon you know, your age and your phase of life. When I was 16 years old and I got my driver's license, that was a good change. I was so excited. On the other hand, the first time I saw a gray hair, one of many that would come, man, I pulled that bad boy out so fast you couldn't even get a, a breath in. Change. That was a bad change. One time I was walking along and uh, 
I saw out of the corner of my eye a, a, a full-length mirror, and I, and I walked by it, and something caught my eye, and I, and I, lo- and I walked back. And I did it again, and the same thing happened. I walked by again, and the third time I said, hmm, that's a change, because I realized that my stomach had reached the mirror well before the rest of my body had. (laughs) That was a bad change. Change. I think it's likely that you and I in our lifetimes have been through more change than generations before, hundreds and perhaps even thousands of years. Consider this, in 1903, the Wright brothers had their first flight, the the first manned air flight, and just 66 years later, we landed on the moon. Now we're exploring Mars and discovering water and looking into the recesses of the universe with the Hubble telescope. And that cell phone that most of us could never imagine, yet probably 99% of us have one in our pocket today, that little cell phone is more powerful than the computer they used to land on the moon. It took 66 days for the, for the, 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 the first uh, Americans to come across the Atlantic from Plymouth, Rock to, from Plymouth, England to Cape Cod. But now we could literally leave the church right this instant and be anywhere in the world in 24 hours. We can talk and see anyone instantaneously around the world. When I was a boy, we had three television channels and I was the remote control. Dad would literally throw something at me and he'd say, boy, change that channel. Now we have 1,100 channels on my flat screen TV, my smart TV, five remote controls, and still there's nothing good on. (laughs) Change. How does it make you feel? When I start talking about all of the change, does it make you feel anxious or excited, nervous, angry, overwhelmed, fearful? Does it make you want to just withdraw to someplace safe? And if it does make you feel fearful, how do you overcome the fear of change? Thankfully, the scripture has a lot to say about change and, and overcoming fear. And the first is this, and I believe it's probably the most important thing. First, we recognize that the world around us may change in a hundred, a thousand different ways, but our Lord and our God does not change. Malachi 3.6 says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Likewise, James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Hebrews 13.8, we've already talked about this morning, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When the world seems to change and threatens to spin out of control, we can stop and meditate on his holy word and remember that we serve, that we have a God who does not change. Theologians call this the immutability of God. God cannot change because God is timeless. Did you know that? God actually lives outside of time. That might hurt your head a little bit to think about it, but it should also comfort you. That's why 
God responded, responded to Moses at a time when he was facing incredible change and, and, and he was frightened as he anticipated having to go back to the people, to the Israelites, and, and tell them a God of a great change. And so in Exodus it says this, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. And if we had English teachers today, they would say that's, that's bad grammar. But theologically, it is profound, and it is a profound truth that we can hold on to. I am, translated from Hebrew to, to English, would literally be something like, I am, I was, I will be, all at the same time. God put a period on it. He simply said, I am the beginning, I am the end. I am. God cannot change because he is perfect and therefore there is no need or, or, or even capability for him to change. He knows all things. I was wondering this morning as I was studying how many of us have faced an unexpected change? Something new, some new piece of information came and perhaps rocked our world just a little bit. God never has come across something that he did not already know. And here's the, is the payoff. Here's the thing that we can hold to. Because of all of these things, because God does not change, he is our rock he is our anchor. He is our cornerstone and our foundations. And not only that, his plans for us do not change. Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And of course the answer is, no, that's not who our God is. We remember that he has a plan. Listen, brothers and sisters, if you're shaking today, if you're troubled today, if you've been kicked in the shins this last week, if you're uncertain about the future, remember that God has a plan for you, a good plan for, for your benefit and not for your harm. And if all of these things are true, and certainly they are, then we can inhale these powerful truths, these scriptures, and exhale the peace, the shalom of God. He is our foundation of peace and our confidence. And when everything around us is changing, he does not. How do we overcome the fear of change? Well, some within the universal church would have choose to withdraw behind the walls of the sanctuary and dig their heels in. Some would say, you know, I can't control change outside those doors. I can't control it in Sanford and in America. I can't, but I'm surely not going to have it anywhere within my church. And the truth is, I understand that completely. After all, this is called a sanctuary. This is a place of safety and security. On one hand, I understand. But on the other hand, don't we want to pass a church on to the next generation that is healthy and vibrant and alive and, and carrying the gospel on to the next generation and to the next until Jesus returns? And the next and the next. And that's going to require some change. 
Leonard Sweet is the dean of the theological school at Drew University. He's written much about the church. This is where I drew the children's sermon from today. He said in his book, Aqua Church, he writes, water is a liquid that fills the shape of any receptacle. As long as we trust the water and don't tamper with the recipe, don't dilute it, don't thicken it, or separate its ingredients, the content can remain the same while the container changes. He says, I am virtually a fundamentalist about content. I am a virtual libertarian about containers. And that's what we saw in the children's sermon. The living water, the good news of Jesus Christ, never ever may be diluted or altered, but shared only with conviction and strength. The rest is simply a means of delivery. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this, For though I am free from all men, I love this passage, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. Here here it is. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I might be that I may by all means save some. And that is an attitude that is worthy of imitation. In other words, he adapted to the culture that he was within. When I was with the purple-haired people, man, I became one with purple hair. When I was one with those pierced, man, oh man, I would have a hard time getting my... That just looks like that would hurt so very bad. But Paul said he was going to adapt to the culture. He was going to adapt to it. And of all of the people in the, in the New Testament, Paul could have, you know, he could have demanded his rights. You know, he, he, uh, he deserved it, frankly. He could, have, you know, he could have talked about all of the letters, and now looking back, we can see that he wrote half of the New Testament. He was an incredible church planner. He could have said, this is the way it's going to be. But instead of doing that and, and probably looking at his own desires, he said, I am going to become a servant, a slave, as Jesus Christ was to me. Why? So that many might be saved. A few weeks after I arrived at my last church, not this church, my last church, a, a little woman came, an elderly woman of the church, and, and she was on the warpath, I'll tell you what. And I could tell, and she had a list of complaints that she brought out. She had thought it through, wrote them down, and uh, it was on. And, uh, and she brought out that list, and at the top of her list, she said, I cannot tolerate these little ditties that we are singing on Sunday morning. Ditties are, of course, uh, praise and worship music, you know, that, that, that we often sing here that is an integral part of our worship experience. She said, I cannot tolerate these little ditties, and, and if you continue to go down this path, and, then, then I'm going to have to leave the church. Well, that's, of course, terribly concerning. And I said, I said ma'am, I, I, I think that we sing the classic hymns because they are theologically profound, and for me, they just... They remind me of heaven. They are deep in theology. They are wonderful stories across a, a great spectrum of, of topics. 
and we sing contemporary praise and worship music because they are deeply relational. They are intimate, they're meditative. They remind us of the relationship. Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves, but now I call you my friend. And in that music, we are reminded. She wasn't pleased with my answer, and so I added, you know what? Also, we want to be a bridge to the future, and this music is a, is a blessing to those that are younger than you and I. We want to leave this church better, stronger than we found it. She was still unconvinced, and finally I asked her, I said, ma'am, I know you don't like that music. I can understand it's different, but do you think that you could use that time, even if you don't like that music, could you just bow your head and understanding that some young people are being blessed by that music, the very future of the church, would you just bow your head, even if you don't want to sing, and just pray for those young people that aren't we so very thankful are part of this body of faith? Could this be your sacrifice to the king and to the future of the church. Because that was Paul's attitude. And shouldn't it be ours? Philippians 2, 4 says, do not merely look at your own personal interest, but also at the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. That's the very thing. You know, we're studying Romans on Sunday evenings. We came across that passage that said, you know, that if we are going to consider ourselves to be strong, what that means is that we're going to have to bend over backwards for those new believers, those new ones that are coming up now. If we're going to call ourselves strong in the faith, if we're going to call ourselves mature, we're going to have to be open to change. And what I've discovered in my own life is that really being open to new things isn't so much of a sacrifice, but actually I found an incredible blessing as we embrace change together. How do we overcome the fear of change? Third, and this is the essential part of the passage that we read together this morning, change is part of the plan and is an essential part of being more like Jesus Christ. Listen, if you've drifted off, come back just for a second. You know, say, say you're 50 years old right now. I'm having a birthday tomorrow. And say 10 years ago, I think, what's tomorrow's birthday? 35, I think. And so, <laughs> ish. And uh, let's say you're 50, though. Look back, have you changed since you were 40? I hope you have. I hope you have. What a terribly sad thing if, if you look back over the last 10 years of your life and you're the same old person. My goodness, if you had a little, if, if, if Donovan was up here and Donovan hadn't grown or something like that, man, he's growing, you know? What if he hadn't grown? Boy, we'd take him to a doctor, wouldn't we? You know, we'd say, man, we gotta, we gotta pour all of our resources. If we had a child, we'd be upset if they weren't growing. Don't we understand that change is part of God's plan for us? Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You know what transformed means? Change. It means change. You can't get around it. There's something wrong if you're not changing. Do you know what the difference is between conformed and transformed? Conformed, I had this image of, you know, like a, an old building, a, a manufacturer, you know. It's just a gray building and it's just chunk 
chunk. It's just, it's just pu- pushing out the same thing. It's, it's just conformed to this world. It's kind of like, you know, I see that bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins. You know, that's the attitude of the world today, isn't it? Or, or uh, do unto others before they do unto you. That's the attitude. That's the, the, the conformed attitude, the conformed person. But that's not you. Paul says that's the way you were, but now you're different. Now you're to be transformed. Transformed into the image of what? Transformed. I have a hard time saying it. There's never been a time that I have not almost cringed at the very thought. You and I are to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I find that almost impossible to get my head around. It's not something I certainly deserve, but we're to be transformed. I try to get my head around it a little bit by just saying we are to be transformed into the character of Jesus Christ. Not conformed. And what does all that mean? It means absolutely that change is part of God's plan. So instead of like kicking against the goads, complaining about it, my goodness, you know the one thing, oh, I'm off a page now. I just want to tell you, you know what, 58 tomorrow, and I'm not real happy about it. I really am not because, you know, there's things that are shifting and falling and it's just not, it's not good. But I take a step back in faith, and I know even so that this is the way that what? That God is polishing, changing, and transforming me. And so instead of kicking against it and complaining about it, you know what Philippians says? My life verse. For I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means change. And what he's saying is we can kind of do this the easy way or we can do it the hard way, but his plan for you is going to be fulfilled. And so the wise man or woman would say, I'm just going to yield to the power of the Spirit and be transformed into the character. Transformed. Do you know that's the very word that is used in the Mount Mount of Transfiguration? That passage, it says, and he was Jesus and was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. We turn back to Romans 12. He says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. Did you know it's the very same word? It's the very same word in the Greek that we are to be transformed as Jesus was. That's our mission statement. By living humbly, by using our gifts, by practicing selfless love, by the discipline of prayer. And so we can see that change is not something to be feared, but something to be open so that we might finally become more like him. One last thing. Finally, the best change is the last change. A.W. Tozer, a, a hero of mine, should be a hero of the church, said this, the days of the years of our lives are few, and swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Life is short in a fevered rehearsal for a concert we cannot stay to give. Just when we appear to have gained some proficiency, we are forced to lay down our instruments. There is simply not enough time to think to become to perform what the constitution of our nature indicates we are capable of. And if that was the end, that would be terribly sad. 
but the good news of Jesus Christ is that it isn't. 1 John says this, Beloved, now we are children of God and it's not appeared yet as what we will be. John didn't even understand what the glorification of, he, he said, I don't understand, but I know this. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. We will be transformed because we will see him just as he is. Beloved of God, just as surely as he has justified us, he has taken away our sins, just as surely as he is in the process of sanctifying us, he is making us more like his son, just as surely he will come back for his people and glorify us. There's a day coming when he's going to take away all of these struggles and going to transport us to a new and glorious home. One of my brothers came by this week. I enjoy it. He said, I don't, I don't mean to uh, bother you. Let me just tell you, you don't bother me when you come by. I am here for you. That's the blessing of being a pastor. But he came by and we just started talking, talking about family, talking about this and that. At one point, we got to a point and he said, kind of relaxed, he, he kind of just, he just said, he said, you know, I'm ready to go home at any time. And, and let me just tell you, it wasn't because he was sad or depressed or he's been ill. It was simply because he knew we were all headed to a better place. The scripture said that we are aliens here. The scriptures say this isn't our home. The scriptures promise an incredible place of blessing. We'll be reunited with all those that have gone on before, all those who have believed in Jesus Christ, that will be healed and made whole. And so we don't have to be afraid of this one last change. In fact, it's absolutely essential. Revelations 21.5 says this, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's change. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. Right. Because it's absolutely true. How would you describe change? Or if I was to ask you to fill in the blank, change is, how would you do it? Change is happening, but my God is my rock and my foundation. Change is even making its way into the church, but the gospel of Jesus Christ will never change. Change is essential so that we might be transformed into the image of Jesus and so that he might do the final work, glorify us and take us to our new home. Change is nothing to be feared. Would you pray with me? We are amazed by you, Lord. I know for my part I can get so tangled up, concerned about this and that, almost to the point of being overwhelmed. But when I stop, when we stop and consider your promises to know that you are in control, that you have a plan, how thankful we are that we can inhale and exhale peace 
Help us, Father, to overcome our fear. Help us to embrace change so that we might be more like your son. We love you and we thank you for every good gift, knowing that you are a rock, our fortress. To you we run. In Jesus' name, amen.